0: Japanese breakfast is Michelle Zorna, born in Korea and raised in Eugene, Oregon. The Philadelphia artist engages the listener with tasteful experimentation and deeply intimate indie rock. Michelle further demonstrates her prowess
1: of introspection with her New York Times best-selling book, Crying in H Mart, where she reflects on her place in American Korean culture. You're tuned in to Roots to Grooves.
0: What's up, everybody? It's Rooster Grooves. I'm Jesse Quigley. Sitting across from me is Jay Purcell. You know that means it's Rooster Grooves.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome along. What up, Jay? Another edition, officially summer in Seattle. It's going to be hot this week- weekend, I hear. Yeah, which also means pollen, and I'm going to be sneezing on the microphone during this episode. It's rough. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, we'll take it, though, with this nice weather. Exactly. It's a beautiful yeah. day in Seattle, and we're happy to be here talking about Japanese breakfast. Who knows about them?
1: Yeah. Ever heard of them? I have heard of them and uh, realized I hadn't uh, heard the music because I thought that there was something else completely. I thought it was more electro soul. Um, This classic thing I do where I just like mix up two different artists, you know, take the name from one and the sound of another and put them together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But just with conviction in your head, you're like, I totally know what that is
1: that group is about. I was like, yeah, it was kind of, I've heard some stuff. And then I was like thinking about, I think I I was actually thinking about, um, damn it, what are they called? G- oh, see, I don't even remember their name. N- not Toki Monster, that's something else. There's like, li- mom, Little Dragon, Little Dragon.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I,
1: I, th- I was taking the music of Little Dragon and associating it with the name of Japanese breakfast.
0: I got you. That's what I was doing, yeah. Little cross contamination yeah. there, yeah. But, but we're here to clean it up. Right, uh, we're talking about Japanese breakfast. It's a alternative pop band, um, you know, kind of dream pop, indie pop, mm-hmm. um, you know, indie rock band. Yeah. It's it's a it's a young female vocalist singer. Um, she's been a musician for like the past ten or fifteen years, and she was in another band, and she started this band as a side project, um, just you know, for her own artistic purposes, started doing it, you know, got signed and it turned into a bigger and bigger project, Mm -hmm. um, to the point where it's been going and growing for 10 years. Um, and she's been, you know, she's, you know, done a lot of cool stuff. Her latest album Jubilees, it has a best alternative music album. Um, it was nominated for that. It was nominated best new artist. Mm -hmm. Um, it was also nominated for her 64th annual Grammy awards. Yeah. So she's doing big things, making progress. A lot Mich- of sh- Michelle Zorna as well.
1: I think oh, we said yeah. her name. Yeah. No, my we bad. I'm, I'm sorry. That's her name. But yes, yeah. of course. Who is Japanese Breakfast. So not really a band, uh, more of a, well, I mean, they're a band in sense of when they go live and tour and that's like mm-hmm. about six people on stage now at this point. And they had a three piece to start with, mm-hmm. um, but it is primarily Michelle's uh, project. She's the singer, songwriter.
0: 100%. Um, and um, furthermore, she's an she's an artist. She's a, a writer. Yeah. She directs a lot of her music videos. Yeah. Um,
1: and if, I don't know if she's an actor too. What else does she do? She hasn't acted well, but I did see her recently on uh, the finale, season finale of Saturday Night Live. Okay. She was the musical artist on there. She performed oh, two tracks. Cool. She also appeared in a few skits. Like. Oh, cool. Acting-wise. I did That's not come fair. across that. I should have checked that out. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, before you even mentioned doing this band as a pick on Roots to I'd seen oh, okay. that Saturday Night Live episode recently. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
0: So it's all coming so together. It's
1: coming together, The synchronicities
0: yeah. are leading the way. Yeah. The universe is telling us we're on the right path. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a cool project. I don't know how I came across Japanese Breakfast, just on, on the, just the random listening train. Mm-hmm. In the, in the middle of the night or in the car or something. And the name has popped up multiple times yeah. on my playlist and stuff. So I, I got into checking it out and it was pretty good stuff.
1: So Yeah. Unlike for me, I haven't come across the music like on Spotify or YouTube, but I have come across people talking about Japanese breakfast on mm-hmm. like the web, um, uh, like on Facebook and that. Uh, I've seen the name come up quite often mm-hmm. as like a sort of, Indie act that people are really into, well, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah.
0: that's that's nail on the head. It's yeah. an indie act that people are really into, and she just creates a really strong vibe. Yeah, that people are drawn to and just kind of fall into this, you know, indie pop dreamy world. Mm-hmm. Um, she just has like a kind of a really nice soft voice that just kind of soars over these, you know, jingling melodies of the, you know, arpeggiated guitars mm-hmm. and you know simple drum beats mm-hmm. and you know just you know thumping grooving bass. Mm-hmm um and i mean yeah it's it's pretty good stuff i like her she's kind of following this narrative as far as genre kind of her earlier stuff sounds a little more indie a little more rocky and she's going a little bit more towards pop i would say on the last album yeah um even though she's still like it's still pretty kind of not not poppy and it is kind of
1: weird still Mm -hmm. and it has her own you know brand over it yeah of course it's not hooky like it's Yeah. Because a lot of pop can have, like, that repetitive chorus that's, like... Right, right, right. She doesn't really have that kind of thing going on. But as far as, like, the production,
0: it sounds cleaner and a little poppier, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, she's Mm Korean-American. Grew up in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And with that,
1: that's all I got for overview. Yeah. And we started out the the proceedings tonight with the first track from her second album, Diving Woman, which is a really cool track. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to spin a little bit now from a track that you picked from her f- debut official album, Psycho Pomp. Nice. This one's Everybody Wants to Love You. a lot you from Japanese breakfast here in Roisty Grooves with me Jay Purcell and Jesse Quigley. Yeah, that's me. Um, Japanese breakfast who is who we're talking about on this episode. Yes. Yeah, so
0: good stuff. Let's get into a little bit of early life. Let's go hop in our time machine. Let's take us back to uh, 1989 in Seoul, South Korea. Ah, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> It's uh, overcast and
1: very misty in the air. just got done raining. You don't know any of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just setting the scene. Setting a fictional scene. Just of, using our imagination. Of the place of birth mm-hmm. of Michelle Zorna, who is Japanese breakfast. Yes. Um, yeah, her mom's Korean. Her dad is Jewish American. And she was born in Seoul. But uh, moved to Eugene, Oregon when she was just nine months old. An so, infant. Yeah um Her dad, like, so a lot of this is interesting. I think I was wanting to mention it later, but she did come out of a book, crying mm-hmm. in H Mart, and actually that's something else I should say. That's another reason that I've heard of her recently because I saw like there was a New York Times article about this book, and I didn't make the connection at all until I started researching today. I was like, oh, she wrote because okay. nice. I've seen the articles out there and my bookmarked it to read it oh very cool i went back and uh, read the article and um yeah so it kind of attaches to her early years because that book is really about her relationship with her mother mm-hmm. right and um it's kind of framing it in uh i haven't read the book but like from what i hear is like framing it in kind of food and memory and her relationship with her mother mm-hmm. and growing up as like an Asian American in America. Yeah, kind, kind of, of touching thing. on
0: her, her yeah. cultural background as a
1: Korean woman. Yeah, and uh, it seems like, you know, f- like I haven't read the book, obviously. I wish I kind of had the time to do that before doing this show because we might have a little bit more insight into her early years because from what I gather, though, it sounds like she maybe didn't have like the... Well, she maybe had a little bit of a rocky time growing up, it sounds like, mm-hmm. um, in Eugene, Oregon. uh Like, from what she did kind of convey in the book, her relationship with her mother is she felt that, like, a lot of um, other kids had maybe parents that are more doting on their children, more supportive. And she said her mother was very much kind of like... I think she, like, gave an example was, like, if, you know, if you lose a job, you know, the parent is like, oh, I'm sorry that happened. You know, there's always another opportunity kind of thing. And she said her mother would be like, why, what did you do kind of thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I think she said very, like, just growing up, like her mother was very um, kind of harsh and strict with criticism and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that and not supportive of creative um, career or work. Uh, Michelle said mostly because she hadn't, her mother hadn't seen or experienced anyone in her life that's been successful with that. Mm-hmm. And she didn't, Michelle didn't go into detail, but she said her her mother did have like some kind of creative thing within her, but she suppressed it and never explored it, kind of Mm. thing. So there's all that sort of going on. And uh, her dad, um, I think she's estranged from now, um, but uh, he is is mentioned in the book as well. And uh, uh, and. she said that the, the main thing he got upset about was not about everything else that he wrote about her, but the fact that he, she got a fact wrong, which is that um, she mentioned that he used to sell used cars to the military. And apparently he was upset about that because it wasn't used cars. It was new, new cars. <laughs> to them. So yeah, it, it seems like there's, it, it was a bit of a, you no, know, I think it seems like from what Michelle talked about that, she maybe would have wanted to do more loving, supportive kind of growing upbringing, mm-hmm. and, and the way she's sort of conveying it is it wasn't that way, and it's very sort of hard for her. But yeah. I think on the other hand, she says that's kind of on her reflection made her who she is now. So, right. You know, right. But
0: anyway. Yeah. One of those interesting yeah. lessons. Like you wouldn't, you didn't have the best background or something. Your yeah. ideal childhood or whatever. But yeah, you also wouldn't go back and change it because that's who you, what caused yeah. you to be who you are today. So yeah. Very interesting situation. Life is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then I don't know where to go first. Let me just, you know, she's going through her childhood. She goes to, she attended Bryn Mawr College in mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually we'll, we could, we'll touch on it a little bit later, but I think she got like a job in healthcare. So I think she was going to school for some type of mm. nursing or hospitality, healthcare. Mm. Or it might have been like health insurance, even. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Okay. But anyway, that's, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. But she went to, to college. Yeah. Um, I know before she was in, before she started um, Japanese Breakfast, she was in another band. And yeah. she was in a few bands, as, as far as I know, a few different indie rock bands. Yeah. Um, until forming the group Little Big League. And this was around 2011. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah. So she like formed that group with a, a couple other people. And they did their thing and they have, you know, they're still, they still have listeners. They still have a following and an audience.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, let's play a little bit of Little Big League. Then. It does have a track loaded up for us. Yeah, because they did release two albums. They're on Spotify. Um, and this is, which track is this? I picked out the last track from their first album. Um, never, I, never have I ever walked away when the time was... Something, I don't know, this is cut off on the screen here. It's a long so, name. It's a long name, yeah. Uh, it was just a snippet there of little big league, um, nice. Michelle Zornas' very first sort of album uh, yeah, band, album. yeah. Uh, and the their actual title for that is "Never Have I Walked Away When the Time Was Right." It was too long for Spotify to actually list the wow. entire name on Spotify, which is crazy. That is crazy. Um, and yeah, it came out in twenty thirteen. It's it's fairly decent like rock album. Um, I would. I would recommend going and listen to just that album, and I think maybe that's why they might have listeners now. As a lot of like fans of Japanese Breakfast are going back and for for more mm-hmm. material, they're listening to this because she was like the front um, singer, wrote all the lyrics. Yeah, and you know, I I know. didn't
0: have a chance to listen to a little Big League. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that um, to the table for us all today. Yeah, um, but you, you can just based off that, it sounds not. Too dissimilar to Japanese breakfast. Yeah, you know, generally it sounds a little bit more rocky. Yeah, it's a little bit more.
1: I think garagey. The difference that uh, Michelle talked about was that um, musically was that that band. I think it was a four-piece, and a lot of the other members came from like the the punk, uh, East Coast punk sort of scene, or listening. You know, growing up listening to that sort of music. Uh, whereas she characterised herself as coming more at, from the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. grunge, uh, rock and pop sort of mentality. And so when it came time to do her own music, she um, said, you know, I think with this band Little Big League, is they wrote a lot of the material as a band, like jamming and then creating songs out of that. And then, and with the intention of like knowing that they were going to play it live. So when she did approach to her own music she was not approaching it to play live at all. And we can talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about that in a bit, but, mm-hmm. um, and so therefore she can make it a little bit popier, add of synths, add instruments that she knew, because she's like, oh, I'm never gonna play this live, so I can add whatever I want, right. like, make this my own. So musically, like- Like a little bit
0: more creative freedom, Yeah, doing everything to serve the song, not worried about the live show. Yeah,
1: and it's funny, like, cause to me listening to Little Big League, that album, um, and psycho pomp. There isn't. I, there's not a drastic difference between her first solo album and that band's album, mm-hmm. to me at least. Um, so no, I would yeah, agree. Yeah, but um, astute observation. But yeah, I mean, her. So her early years. She. She's. We're rewinding a little again. She went to college right in Philadelphia. That's Bryn. when she formed. Yeah, little big league. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. So it was like two thousand eleven. Yeah. um and then i i got if we're jumping to 2013 was she moved back to oregon
1: yeah well so yeah but before we say that i want to say she said a little bit more about a bit, little Billy being being they would did do a lot of touring and stuff like that oh yeah i, I glanced over that i'm sorry but they were, didn't have any money and they weren't successful mm-hmm. so she said that they would go out on the road for a month and then she'd come back to philadelphia and then be fired from her job like she'd work service jobs like food restaurants restaurants, okay that sort of stuff um and she said it was just a very hard lifestyle and being sort of disassociated from family and friends and right going on the road coming back and being poor sleeping on friends couches and stuff like Mm -hmm. that yeah so what happened is she said she went back to eugene oregon because her mom had cancer and so she like quit her life in Philadelphia to go be with her mother when she was ill in Eugene, Oregon, right? hmm Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, thanks for filling in that gap there. Yeah. So that, that does bring us up to th- 2013. Mm. And yeah, her mom was diagnosed with cancer, so she moved back to help take care. Um, and I think it was around during this time where she started, she was messing around with music, and she had this idea to do like a 30-day, you know, a month-long exercise practice where she writes a song every day. Yeah. And this is the material where her, the first Japanese Breakfast album came from. Right. Which is a cool yeah. exercise. And I've heard a lot of other artists do this from time to time. Yeah. Um, just like a nice way to just get something out of you, even if it's not the best perfect thing, just to extract some artistic ideas mm-hmm. and then see what happens with it once it's out. Yeah. Um, so she did that and it was obviously a success. And she turned a bunch of those songs, probably not every
1: single one, but a bunch of them into that first debut album. Yeah, a couple of them, I think. I think she did another uh, after she finished that first project. I think she was, like, posting them to Tumblr is what Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, you're um, right. And she worked with a friend, Rachel um, Gagliardi. I have the name there. Um, and then, yeah, after that, she did a similar project again um, with some other musicians. Um and posted them to another tumblr this is where back when tumblr I mean, was a thing it was, yeah tumblr was hot <laughs> the early yeah. 2010s yeah i think if we can let's see if it's still up so i'm gonna just uh, look this up she called it rachel and michelle do june dot com. it's still up there it's there it's there and you can uh Jay's putting it up on the screen um, for us all right now. Yeah, here we go. If you for video viewers, this nice. is the website. It has an animated picture of a fried egg. Jiggering jiggering back and forth.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, very simple.
1: Uh let's just click into day 30. What do we have here? Oh, it goes to a uh, SoundCloud. So there you go. Michelle, we just live on air. Quick fact here. If you go to soundcloud.com slash Zorna Michelle. And you can check the show notes for the spelling. Don't mind if I do. Uh, she has a whole SoundCloud here with all, all of those tracks from that very first project. So mm-hmm. Deep cuts. There. Good yeah. stuff.
0: There you go. Jay with the research. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, she's making this music or just a bunch of body of work, a bunch of tracks that she does one per day um, and it ends up being the the release called June from mm-hmm. 2013. It's... You know, melodic, intimate, electric guitar, um, lo-fi, da-da-da-da. Uh, and, yeah, I guess it was released on cassette by Ranch Records at at, at this time. Mm, cool. About 2013. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. What do we got from here? Um, so, yeah, she was still in Oregon and, and writing these songs. What she, she did this. Yeah. So, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it was June...
0: It wasn't Japanese Breakfast, or was that an EP? What was that? What the album June? I thought that album was called June, or was that did oh. that,
1: that ended up being Psychopunk? Uh, no, June. Yeah, they called it June, um, but it never really officially came out. It, it was like released online, and then yeah, like cas- oh, okay, and cassette then, tapes, and then some
0: of those tracks, yeah, ended up being like demos for. Yeah, the, the psychopomp.
1: I think only like two, from what I gather, from what okay, I got heard it. somewhere. Um, yeah, because she was sort of like she did all this, all of these tracks, thirty tracks with Rachel for that album June, mm-hmm. and then she did a separate, similar project with a group of other three other musicians. I see, I see. And that one's called May five to twelve songs dot dot com. Again, that's Tumblr. <laughs> um, that's funny, but. Like, I'm a little bit fuzzy on like the timeline and that, but I think what kind of ended up happening for the first album, Psychopomp, is that she got together with two other musicians, bass player Peter, who I think went on to be her husband, right, and a, another a drummer, and so they'd taken like a lot of her demos and did them live and then recorded them, and then she said they basically she basically sat on it for six months because she didn't like it at all, like how it came together. And so she got together uh, with this mixing engineer who now m- mixes all of her stuff. And I'm trying to find his name. I don't know if you have his name. Um, but... I do not. Oh, George Elbrecht. She got together with him and they like replayed all these recordings that she did with those musicians and basically kind of monkeyed with it in the computer and stuff and slowed things down, sped things up, took drums out, added like other sort of electronic components kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think like it was that process that really um, got her excited about the music again. Um, and that sort of process is what ended up coming together to be the first album, Psycho Yeah, um, nice. Yeah, from what I gather. No, I like yeah. it, I like
0: it. Yeah. Um, by the way, Psycho Pomp, um, it means in Greek mythology, a guide of souls to the place of the dead, the spiritual guide of a living person's soul. well, Yeah.
1: Just for kicks. So we're all on the same page. And the album cover, I think is photos of her mother, right? Like a composite.
0: Yeah. And thing. so like I said, or like you said, I'm also a little fuzzy on the timeline because as far as I know, this album Psychopomp was released mm-hmm. and her mother got to experience that. Um, and subsequently, shortly after her mother died of the right. cancer that we previously spoke about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she got to hear that that album but i also was reading that was it was still the album like lyrically was talking about what what zoner was going through with her mom at the time because she was diagnosed and she was helping her through this process yeah and so i think a lot of the lyrics end up being you know kind of that experience yeah put into words yeah
1: now a lot of people have said and she said it herself she said yeah exactly that that's kind of what the lyrics were about and then people have kind of characterized this album as compared to her later stuff as like more sort of sorry excuse me, somber or like sad kind mm-hmm. of thing. But um, yeah, I've seen like dark or heavy handed. Yeah, that as well. And it's interesting to me because I listen to these tracks and musically I don't feel that, but lyrically, yeah, for sure. But musically, tonally, mood wise, it doesn't feel heavy mm-hmm. or dark or sad. It feels because her voice is kind of like light and floating to me it sounds wistful sort mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, no, I
0: like, yeah. 100% agree. Yeah.
1: That's that's what drew me into the music, but that is cool how it's multi-layered.
0: Yeah. How you can kind of groove to it and vibe to it, have it on playing and you like it, getting something out of it, but then dig a little deeper to read the lyrics and it's it's much more poetic and dark. Yeah. Um so multi-layered, good stuff. Yeah. Um what else do I got on on this album? It's it's raw, it's visceral and yeah, I don't know. A lot of it some of it was at least written within weeks of her mother's death. Right. Okay. So so very close to home kind of record. Yeah. Also was a successful debut
1: record for Michelle. Yeah. Should we play a track to I think we got one? one? Yeah.
0: Let's do it. Heft.
1: from the debut album, Psycho Pomp. That's right, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, lyrically, you know, sh- yeah, moving. You can hear mm-hmm. what she's talking about in that song. Yeah, um, it's good though.
0: It's the music good, it's almost kind of, some of it reminds me of kind of like Drive-In, or no,
1: no, no, what? Oh, it, reminds, it reminds me of a lot of things, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of the name I was thinking of. I mean, not, vocally but like smashing com- pumpkins musically mm-hmm. like um that sort of reminds me of sort of 90s
0: yeah i mean it's like a, a
1: light-hearted rock. yeah grunge or alternative
0: rock yeah like it's really chill but you yeah. can hear some almost like kind of postmodern punk post-punk yeah vibes yeah um but it's good uh, yeah. i guess she, she wanted to put this record out and nobody wanted to put it out as far as labels go she hit mm. up a couple of labels and nobody wanted to put it out okay and eventually yellow yellow k put it out okay um so she eventually just found one that would even some of her friends labels
1: she said wouldn't put it out mm. for some reason but then i don't know how the hype started then right around this because she said at a certain point that they were getting a lot of they, they did start to get courted by labels, but also booking agents. Um, there was like kind of an attraction to like an interest in this music and getting her to get booked for shows and stuff like that. Um, which I think it eventually led to Mitski, right? Um, she opened up for Mitski, mm-hmm. which is one of her big breaks. Mitski who we talked about. Yeah. On Rage to Grooves. Going to check out that episode. episode. Yeah. Her music's great as well. Um, so as far as I know, right after, so psychopomp
0: is released. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically she was, some time passed, you know, death of her mother. She still got that on her mind and stuff. It's like a really tough pe- period for her. Mm. Um, so I, I, I know she got a nine to five job and this was where I was kind of bringing up that healthcare job.
1: I think it was some kind of health insurance job. Oh, um, no, the, what I heard about the nine to five job was um, she was working in an ad company. She was in New York at this time, mm-hmm. she moved to New York. Um, and she was selling ad space basically. Okay. Uh, And I think what happened there is that she said she thought she was doing a really good job at this place, but they didn't think so. And they fired her, Mm. (laughs) but her firing came right around the time when she got the label deal Mm -hmm. and she was kind of like, I guess the music is meant to be then kind of thing. Right. And also I think like to backtrack a little bit, I said earlier because of her experience with little big league and, and, Touring with no money and that kind of lifestyle sort of thing, right she kind of didn't want to do that again. She didn't want to tour, she didn't want to play out live Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it you're was right.
1: the interest in this album that she was like, Oh, okay, well, I guess we'll we'll play this live sort of stuff and um and uh yeah, it was kind of like I think she was like her mentality was like, oh, I'd given up on that side of the music thing, but right. now." the opportunities are coming to me. So I guess mm-hmm. I, I have another shot at it kind of thing. I guess I'll take it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so to kind of like to piggyback on where you're, the story you're telling, mm-hmm. I'm not, there's a couple bits of information. I'm not sure where to connect the
1: dots, mm-hmm. but I, I, she went to South by Southwest and played a show. Yeah, I think that's why they do like showcases down there or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't know what that entails necessarily. I've heard right mixed reviews. I've met musicians that have done it and said it's overhyped and it's not worth doing. So, so is that something that
0: you would sign up for, like kind of apply for? Be like, hey, I want to play here yeah. and then
1: they choose you or... I, I think it works you get a slot based on that. like that. Yeah. And especially if you have a label working for you to do your bidding in terms of getting well, in there, I think that that works that that way was, as well. Like,
0: yeah. That that was kind of the point I was mm-hmm. making because I don't think she had a label until that point. Okay. And yeah. I, I read that she had gotten connected with a label and signed possibly yeah, that weekend, that. but but because of that right, show. Yeah. And she also got a booking agent. Right, What I was reading made it seem like it was like all kind of happened in the same weekend at at South By.
1: Um, It's possible. I know that happens a lot now and there. mm -hmm. There's a thing. Um, It's kind of seen. I think we've talked a lot about a lot of artists that did that early on in their career and it seemed to have helped. So. I don't know. Maybe the person that was shitting on it it didn't help work for them, so that's why they're bitter about it. But like <laughs> maybe you're right. Yeah that, yeah, that could be. Yeah, but um, but yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot about you. Do go down there, you play the showcase, and that's how you get connected with mm-hmm. these industry folks, sort yeah. of thing. Seeing you play and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So in this interview, I mean, yeah. she was she was pretty stoked because it was kind of like a dream come true moment. Because like you were saying. Am I done with music? Is it's not going to be my thing? Mm-hmm. And then like, boom, I get this opportunity and boom, I got a booking agent. I got signed. They want me to tour. They want an album. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, what a cool little experience. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah. you know, in all, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Um, You know, she, she was ready for the opportunity mm-hmm. and she, she took the opportunity. It was good for her. Yeah. Um. So then. Yeah, the other thing I was going to say about this time period was that she was she was worried about the second album. Mm. Um, you know, artists are sometimes worried about their sophomore album, kind of called the sophomore slump. Right, um, and they're just worried about how their artist, their art, or their music is going to be perceived after a successful album.
1: An interesting way I heard about a, a journalist that interviewed Michelle uh, characterized it in a way that like you spend all your life writing all the songs for the first album. Mm-hmm. And then and then for the second album, oh, you have to start from scratch in a short no, yeah. period of time kind of thing. Like,
0: I've heard yeah. that, like you have all yeah. your life to write your first yeah. album and then yeah. six months to write your second album. <laughs> yes. like, and, and it is kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. I think all artists kind of go through that a little
1: bit. Well, the other thing I it sort of intrigued me about this concept is I know, I think we both know a lot of musicians now coming up Producers, musicians, artists that are not really focused on the album; they're focused on the songs. It's kind of like a hip hop mm-hmm. mentality of just put out tune after tune after tune after tune. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting to me where we still have artists like Japanese Breakfast in this era that aren't doing that. Instead, they're focusing on albums. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I'm just like, like, what's better? Or what's the way to do it? Like. I was, I was starting to think like should, should should artists just be putting out tune after tune after tune and not always should you think it's about doing an album? Because an album can also have like a cohesive statement within a collection of songs, right? Especially right. if you're a lyricist and right. there's like themes and things that you want to express. right Then a body of work, the album does it, you know. Or similarly, you could do it over like mm-hmm. however many songs and just put out. Single officer. I don't know if you have any thoughts about this. What do you think what? about that concept of just tune after tune versus albums? Like,
0: I mean, I, have, I don't know, yeah. you know. A lot of thoughts. <laughs> okay. Um, like one thing that's interesting, it's a little bit like a sidestep. Yeah. But I feel like it's right in the same crux of what we're talking about. Because you have movies and then you have like TV shows. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that like movies were like if you're on a TV show and you want to make it as a movie star, like that's the next big step. Right. Mm-hmm. But now it's like the opposite where you're like you could be a movie star, but like a lot of movie stars are moving towards TV because it's a, in a serial yeah. like episode by episode thing. Yeah. And I'm in my head, I'm kind of comparing that to like episodes to
1: like singles yeah. rather than a movie to an album. Although also like that TV concept that you're talking about is a little bit different than like the old school way of TV, like ER or those dry or sopranos kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like now it's like, it's almost a mini series, right? Where you mm-hmm. have 10 episodes, but it, that's it. So it's almost like a really long movie like right. opportunity for an well, actor. Kind of
0: exactly. To do, so right? it's like, yeah. instead of an actor <clears throat> acting all these parts and putting all this energy into a two and a half hour movie, you get how many hours of one season, if it's 10 episodes long, an hour per episode, that's 10 hours of acting in front of the audience. Right. And so it's that many more opportunities to get across what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, I don't know if that makes sense
1: to what it we're does. talking about. No, I've heard actors recently. It's very useful. I watched this roundtable discussion with these actors. Uh, one of the guys, Brian, forget his last name. He he's plays the. He's in Succession. Like he's the father figure in this HBO show called Succession, kind of thing. Oh, I don't know that show at all. It's really good though. But he characterized it as like, because you know normally it's like the three act structure in movies had one, two, Mm -hmm. and three. He said doing the show and doing TV is like one really long act two kind of thing. Oh yeah. You know, and you get to explore. And yeah, and someone else around the table was like, yeah, you get yeah, like you're saying, you get to this time to explore the character versus like when you're doing a movie, you have these short moments. You got to be somewhere. The end is coming
0: up. Yeah, yeah. You got to show the audience, give them the story, give them the narrative. Yeah, yeah. The narrative yeah so kind of interesting so, so album wise, so do you think yeah what do you like? i guess back to like singles mm-hmm. it kind of comes into like the digital age that we live in and it's like a as a marketing thing it could be you want your name to be out there like every day or every week mm-hmm. not just drop an album once per year and there's one post on instagram you know yeah. you want to be posting every week
1: so you get you know
0: Yeah, that's something people need to connect to it. So you need to be in front of their face and being engaged with.
1: Yeah, that's something I thought about as well. Because like, yeah, if 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 the advice of music now is to be putting out content every day, kind of Mm -hmm. thing, and if you're a musician, to me in my mind, it's like, why waste your time making like Instagram posts and TikTok videos when you could just make music? Because that is really your content. Yeah. But the same aspect though, is it going to be any good to just be pumping out song after song? if you're not spending the time to like. That's, that's the fine on, line that yeah, yeah.
0: musicians find themselves in yeah. today because increasingly they have to be their own videographers and content creators. La- know, label marketing. Yeah, alongside making thing. your high quality original music. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's the plight of the artist, you know, has always been a little rough. And it's still rough today. I think it's all
1: just a new type of yeah, just just with new the technology. Dynamic, the, the same struggles are still there. The dynamics and the things you have to mm-hmm. do are just different. But
0: well, I, I guess just to to conclude on that statement, it's like I know people become friends because like it's easy to become friends at school when you're young because you you're having the same experience and you're in the same location, sharing the same experience with people every day. You know. And it's, it's not like you saw one kid one day a year ago. How how good of friends are you going to be with that one kid? Mm-hmm. But rather than mm-hmm. these kids who you're hanging out with every day and sharing this experience, yeah. that's how you make friends. And it's like that with music too. If you're engaging with this music a lot, you're seeing the posts, you're going to be more willing to like care about them and care about the artist's story. Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, yeah. I, I think singles are a good way to go right now. Yeah. But however, Japanese breakfasts, and a lot of the bands we talk and artists we talk about on the show are not doing that, right? For some, mm-hmm. like, and and you know we picking out these artists because we want to learn from them, and because their music's great, and we want to hear where they're coming from, and mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just a very strong theme that I've seen in all of these artists' mm-hmm. it's albums. Yeah, it's touring and albums. If there was two takeaways, I would take away from all of these. Seventy plus episodes of Rooster yeah. Grooves—it's albums and touring, like yeah, those are the things to do. But that—that is, that is yeah. true, regardless yeah. of what we're talking about. Whether yeah. it's
0: more, you're more marketable as an artist to yeah. do singles or do albums. Yeah. A lot of these artists we're talking about do go that extra mile to release a full body of work, which is an album. Yeah, um, and they seem to really care about that and find it to be very important, regardless
1: of what's going on in the music world. Yeah, so that's interesting. And I think I'm just juxtaposing that with the people that aren't really successful yet that I know Mm -hmm. in person who are not doing that. Right, right. I was like, should the advice be, guys, you need to make an album. Yeah. And then you need to go on tour. Like, fuck the social media, like content everyday thing, whatever. Like, make an album and then go on tour. Like, I don't know.
0: I I think it's a great investment. Yeah. I think it's a great investment to do something like that. Yeah. And then... Then, you know, come out with an album release and a tour, get your name out, make a big bombastic show. And then the rest of the year, two years, three years from that point, like singles as much as you can right. and fill in the gaps. But then there's that, a lot of content for the artist or for the for the audience to go back to and really dig into. Right. So they see these singles coming out. But then when they like, oh, I like this single. I like that single. This guy's really good. I'm going to go to Spotify and look at the album. Mm -hmm. And then you listen to the album and there's a full body of work for that audience to listen to. And then that's when you really make that connection. Mm. Like they're like, they go from the singles to the album and then, wow, now I'm all up in this artist's grill, like listening to his full album and stuff. And that's a fan now. Right. That's huge. Yeah. So it's like, you know. You know, you talk business, you talk conversion rates, like consumers to, to money, to cash flow. Mm. And How much can you get? Right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm off the rails here, guys. Let me reel it in here. Um, but we're, we're, we're talking like 2014 times.
1: Um, uh, where are we at? the Second album, uh, well, 2017, did that come out? Uh, the second album, Soft Sounds from Another Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, originally... Here's what I heard. Um, First album, very cathartic, very much Michelle talking about her relationship with her mother. Second Mm -hmm. album, she wanted to do something different. She wanted to get away from that. Originally, she wanted to do some kind of like concept album around like uh, the future or like robots or something like that. Um, You know, so she wrote a couple of tracks that are in that vein. Like, I think Machinist was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as she was working through this she was like she did one song and then she was like oh now i have to make like 10 more that are like that and within that theme yeah and then she was like that doesn't not really vibing with that didn't really work sort of thing so she kind of ditched and i think that. she was capable of making it she just like didn't feel
0: like making that type of music right then right?
1: yeah also another thing that she thought was that. um uh yeah you know, she had just made this connection with listeners on the first album, kind of thing, and she was like, "What? Now I'm just going to break that by not really being open and honest on the second album? I'm going to do some weird like robot <laughs> yeah. concept album." I think that was the other thing con- thing she thought about it was just like, "Oh no, I should really give them, let them. They've only just heard of me. And, you know, the and second album is an opportunity to get them to know you even further, and mm-hmm. and it's like by do, not sort of like going not catering to that but not allowing that to happen she felt was like kind of i think she wanted because she she got like the
0: backlash and the the critiques you know seeing people commenting and giving their opinions online Mm. about the album whether they're good or bad there's there was good and there was bad about the second album about the first album okay but then for the second album she was like she was she knew that experience and she was like well now people are going to be talking about this or that Um, so she, that's why she wanted to go with that, that robot concept because she was like, I need something more like insular, 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 Mm -hmm. um, if I can say that word, Mm. um, you know, as like a barrier so I can like continue to make music and make art, but feel safe and not feel like I'm completely vulnerable, vulnerable and exposed. Right. Um, but then she kind of realized that, that being exposed and vulnerable is connection with their audience. All right. Yeah. You know, so she, yeah. she recognized the value in that and decided to go back towards that yeah, yeah.
1: and wrote the rest of the songs yeah. with that kind of in mind. Cool. Yeah. Um, sh- we gave uh, listeners uh, a taste of this album when we opened up the show, Diving Woman, uh, but we have this other track here. Should we play this? Roadhead.
0: Yeah, it's another good one.
1: Japanese breakfast from the second album, "Soft Sounds from Another Planet," science fiction concept album was what I was looking for. I said robot, future, tech. I was oh. mangling it all up. No, I think science you fiction. On. I think you were in the the ballpark. <laughs> I was in the ballpark, but yeah, she. There was. She, I, I I
0: heard something about robots too, right. or metal, yeah, something. Yeah. We're yeah. we're there. We're on
1: it. Yeah, but she, yeah, like you say, didn't really sort of continue to make this a concept album so much. But um, but it is, yeah. it is good. I would, this is, this is like
0: my favorite one of hers. This is where I got into mm. Japanese Bre- breakfast, I think, okay. were these two tracks, the, yeah. the track that we opened up the show with yeah. and this track that we just played, um, this whole album is, it's spacious and more expansive
1: and more vibey. Production yeah. quality is something I notice a lot lately. I think because I'm listening to music on my headphones all the time, and uh, I i could hear this. I noticed this a lot, yeah, between albums with my like, artists that they, as they progress, mm-hmm. production quality gets a bit better. Like, mm-hmm. And on this second album, it's a little bit more of a rounded sound, whereas the first right. album didn't really have that kind of. It's it was just a little bit more two dimensional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know if that's fair to say. Yeah, but it's still good stuff.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's a little bit more. You know, you could say lo-fi if that makes everybody feel better yeah. about production. I think you
1: it's know, just I, like because if I'm listening to music in headphones, I really want it to like engulf me in like right. a vibe, and if right. it doesn't, it just feels like I'm listening to like a mono. Yeah, it just feels synch, kind of boring. Synch. Yeah, exactly. Pe- that yeah. people
0: would call that a bad mix, you know. Yeah. yeah. If, if it's boring to listen to, I suppose, right. but whatever we're talking about, this second album is more quality yeah. as far as production. I think on every level, mm-hmm. the writing's a little bit better. The, the vibe is a little bit better. The, just everything in general is turned up a notch, yeah. um, and you know, firing on all cylinders, Yeah, I would recommend starting with this album. If you want to get into Japanese breakfast, I think it's really good. Right. Um, so let, let's move on to the next thing that's in the future um mm-hmm. i mean i guess we just jumped straight to
1: jubilee jubilee the most recent album
0: do we have anything she was just touring in between
1: touring she did do um what was it some music for this video game sable
0: oh that did come out 2021 so yeah we could touch yeah. on that yeah because she yeah she was asked to supply the soundtrack to an indie game mm-hmm. developer called shedworks mm-hmm. okay. i guess and they uh yeah, the publisher for that is Raw Fury, right. and they had a video game called Sable. Right. Um, and I mean, that's pretty much all I got, but she she did the soundtrack for it, and I guess it was pretty good. Right. Um, but just, you know, a testament to the other things that she's doing. Like, we haven't really touched on any of her music videos, but she directs some of her music videos like I touched on. Yeah. And then she's doing music for video games. Yeah. You touched on the book that she wrote. So yeah. this is a busy girl. Yeah, and, and she's basically been successful in all of her different little aspects yeah.
1: of work that she does. And it's impressive. Yeah, and Jubilee was supposed to come out a year before it did. I think summer 2020, and they pushed it back. Because um, she was asked, because she did the book, um, mm-hmm. her first book, Crying in H Mart, which we talked about at the top yeah. of the show.
0: And I, I guess let me touch on that real quick, because... Yeah, we're talking in this time period. It's about it's 2020. Yeah. It's pandemic time. Mm-hmm. So she had some downtime, mm-hmm. and she used that to to get into this idea of writing a memoir, yeah. which turned into crying in H Mart, yeah. um, which is basically about her Korean heritage in the wake of her mother's death. Right. You know, like kind of just discovering who her mother was and who she is, and what the culture means and what part they play in all of that. Yeah. Um. And it was released several months. Before Jubilee. Right. I know that. And it reached number two on the New York, um, New York Times notifi- nonfiction bestseller list.
1: Yeah, and I think it was in the, on the New York Times bestseller list overall for like 40 weeks or something like that. Yeah, crazy. I think she was number two. The number one was like George Bush. <laughs> George, George Bush has a book out? I, apparently. Wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know I which have one. I to check that out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, And Barack Obama. Has also listed it as a, as a, put it on his book list of books to check out. Um, That's amazing. I don't know how she's getting this credibility. Publisher. She does have a publisher for this. You know, I I think the publisher. There was an auction for the rights for this book, Mm. and uh, and this publisher got it, and they've been really good about promoting it and putting it out there in the world. And I think one of the interesting things about this, though, is like because because they pushed back. Jubilee the third album from coming out it basically coincided with her doing promotion for this book and promotion for the album uh, which is kind of juxtaposed because people said that Jubilee is her is the happy album the happiest album that mm-hmm. Japanese breakfast have done intentionally Michelle did it that way she wanted to you know, like she's like I expressed all of that stuff now I want to go in a like, happy positive direction for this album But yeah, the weirdness was like she was doing all this PR and interviews for the book, which is still kind of about that sad, cathartic time, whilst doing PR and promotion for this album, which Mm -hmm. is about a positive.
0: (laughs) They're almost seeming kind of disparate. Yeah, and that's when
1: she said it wasn't supposed to come out at the same time. You know, that's COVID and all that happened. But but also the other reason why she did the book is like she said that she thought she'd kind of like done this cathartic thing on the first two albums and realized she hadn't she like needed a bit more and that's kind of also why she wrote the book and also to say the book was like pre' um, not, not the word prefaced but, but I'm forgetting the terminology of foreshadowed no <laughs> she basically wrote some essays and articles for like uh, various online publications before doing the book drafts. Uh no, it's like a actual published articles like I think the New Yorker I'm,
0: I'm still trying to think of the word you were thinking of. Pre pre
1: uh I mean yeah, preface pre determined pre She pre preliminary before I dunno, whatever. Alright, we're lost. We're <laughs> uh, I can't I cannot help you, sir. If you're writing. What's the word? Um maybe I was you're Maybe the a... word I was thinking of is wrong to use in that context. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I think you're about to make up a word. Yeah. But she uh, she wrote an article called or an essay called Crying in Hmart and that precluded? Pre 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 Precluded.
0: Like,
1: like not secluded, <laughs> not yeah. like but came before. Yeah, came before. Not secondary. Prelimin- preface not pre- pre- works, doesn't it? I guess, but that's also in a book, a preface, right? <laughs> uh, preface
0: synonym. I love the source. Um, preamble, prelude, uh, not pre- not prologue, prolusion,
1: uh. introduction, forward. Pre, wow, oh, no man, this is yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's going to bug us into the next five episodes. What is this? <laughs> Prefix. Prefaced, prefixed,
0: predetermined,
1: predeter, no. pre, no, never mind, forget it. <laughs> Sorry, guys, we tried. Um, but yeah, so that was sort of like she'd done all that, you know, in preparation for doing this book, and um, and now it's been turned into a movie, and she's written the screenplay for it. Uh, she's oh, done a, I didn't even know that. Yeah, she's done a first draft. The film rights have already been bought by Orion Pictures, the home of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Nice. Um, and Face the Music? And maybe, I don't know. They've done mm, other stuff. The sequel. Um, And uh, yeah, she's written the screenplay and she's doing working on drafts for it. So she does, like you said, directs her music videos. I was like, wow, are they going to let her direct? I don't even know if she wants to direct it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, She's definitely writing the first draft of the screenplay. So no, that's awesome. I just keep oh, yeah. hearing
0: new stuff that she's involved in. And, you know, she just consistently is just yeah. sniping these things off. Like, write a book, I can do it. Make an album, I can do it. Yeah. You know? That's I think cool. she just wants to keep working. She
1: likes she likes working. Well, yeah, she
0: likes being an artist. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think she knows she's pretty, you know, lucky or in a good mm-hmm. kind of point of privilege to be living this life that she is. Yeah. And she's you know using it as well as she can and you know using it as a way to lo- look at herself as a reflection and be like, you know, a cathartic kind of experience like writing about her her own experiences mm-hmm. with her mother, with her culture, with her herself. Mm-hmm. And she's just exploring her life and, mm-hmm. and life in general. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. Um yeah. Da-da-da-da. So so, yeah.
1: so Jubilee comes mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And uh, uh interestingly she does like she says she has a home studio but um she said it's like mostly like midi instruments and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and uh i think what she's sort of taken to doing writing wise is um work a lot in midi for like the original ideas and then turn those into instruments later so she said i I think we should play it in a little bit paprika that song Mm -hmm. um she said started out um, she was just in Ableton drawing like piano midi notes and that's how that came together and then she, when she went to the studio she turned all of those piano parts into different analog instruments is the way she described it kind of I Um I wonder what that sounded like. Yeah I don't know I mean I've thought about that often as well it's like you could take you could take a gu- acoustic guitar composition or piano thing and then uh sort of translate that into different instruments
0: well i mean i know one of my favorite bands the strokes does that oh yeah a a lot of songs will be started by being written on a keyboard Mm -hmm. and then you know then they they know like julian the singer composer knows the notes that are being played yeah and then it's like okay then but i want this in guitars right so bass you do this you do the root Mm -hmm. guitar one you play these two notes guitar two you play these two notes oh cool and we're all playing different notes but when you play them together Mm -hmm. it's you know it's an orchestra and that's cool the the notes that you're playing the notes that you're playing and the the bass is playing equal a chord yeah and those chords change during the different sections of music yeah as the as the chords change and the structure goes on so very cool yeah yeah. Um, I think it's a really cool thing to do and it makes the music very interesting and it feels like a puzzle piece that's put together well yeah and you can see the image yeah you know it feels cohesive
1: and yeah. powerful I know uh, Nick Cave writes on piano as well okay right? um he has this I heard this story he had his I don't know if he still has it he kind of has this like office setup where he like and there's all that's in there is like a couch like a coffee table and a mm-hmm. stand-up piano And uh, he just goes there every day, and works nine to five, writing his songs in that environment kind of thing. Um, And then, yeah, once he has songs, he gets the band, the bad seeds, I guess, to to, uh, play it. Yeah. Just literally one non-MIDI piano. Yeah. And I think we've, I can't remember who said this on all of our episodes, but I think there was an episode where someone said something along the lines of like, a song is a song it can sta- it should be able to stand up by itself mm. no matter how it's interpreted right you know so there's something to starting like in that way on the piano it's like if it works on the piano it's gonna work with a band you know right right so
0: no yeah. i think I, yeah. Uh, yeah i love that sentiment yeah, yeah i'm down with that and i back it up 100 percent.
1: and i think that's the other thing about um michelle zorna from japanese breakfast she she had piano lessons when she was younger, I think, from five years old. And she has sort of described about the piano as like it's the only instrument that she knows all the notes and the key and kind of like what to do on it sort of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but she is a guitarist and she's played guitar for a long time um, throughout the years, I think throughout her first bands as well. But she didn't learn about the guitar and she kind of liked that fact of being oblivious about music theory and stuff like that. But then before doing this album, she has, she's sort of gone back and taken piano lessons, music theory lessons and guitar lessons to sort of learn a bit more nice. about what she's doing kind of thing. And um, yeah, I think it's like, she said she's still not, you know, doesn't know everything about it, but, and it is, a t- mm-hmm. uh, for me, I think it's like a tough thing. I was like looking into it recently. I, I'm thinking about learning, I don't know, using one of these apps to like learn Music theory, like mm-hmm. on piano or bass guitar or whatever, because mm-hmm. it's something I f- I'm like feel like I need to know as well, like or or it would help me be less stuck in trying to make music if I knew that stuff. But right, but then also I f- it, also, I don't know, maybe it's better to be oblivious, but uh, but at the same time, also it seems very in depth, right? it's not like you just learn music theory, theory and then you're done. I can, I can move on with my life. It's like, yeah. it's like, there's no end to it. It seems like, right? <laughs> it's like complex. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. No.
0: I mean, it's like, it's, it becomes like a way of life type of thing. Like, like right. you're a monk. It's yeah. like, I'm going to practice this forever. All the scales and,
1: and then there's different modes and it, all this weird stuff. I, I, I mean, know. music's
0: yeah. not a, it's mm. not a finite binary thing that mm. that you, you can master or not. Like
1: it's not one or the other. Well, I think the interesting thing, because I've always, I think I said this before as well, I feel like music is uh, 10% skill and knowledge mm-hmm. and 90% soul, mm-hmm. you know, because you can be yeah. the shittiest guitarist in the world, but if you put 90% of soul into it, no one gives a shit. Yeah, like, you, know, you can play two chords, but if you're like doing something interesting. There's, there's yeah. literally
0: two chord songs
1: yeah. out there that were hits, you know, Achy Breaky Heart, Right. You know, two chords and the truth. That's a saying. Two. Three chords and a truth. Really? Yeah. I've never heard that. We've, we've said it a couple of times. <laughs> <on this. laughs> we've had oh, two artists that have mentioned this. <laughs> but, I'll go back and watch yeah, those episodes. Yeah, but we don't rewatch these episodes. So. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: So. Uh, but anyway. Jubilee, uh, it's yeah. a big splash of a record. Uh, yeah. It's just like a little bit of a different vibe. Yeah. It's like a little bit less 90s influence. Mm-hmm. A little less grungy post punk. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit it feels a little bit more modern, mm-hmm. contemporary, a little more poppy. Poppy is like it sounds like a bad word, but I don't wanna make it no negative connotations, but it just feels a little cleaner and brighter. Right. Good vocals, good melodies, you know, like some of the best I've heard, you know, from from Japanese breakfast, but you know, nice evocative contrast. The lyrics are poetic mm-hmm. and good writing. Um, the instrumentals are just really good. It's, it's a stunning body of work. Mm-hmm. Should we play? Uh, we should definitely play one. I was just wondering which one, because I think um, that, that,
1: that intro track is good. We originally were going to play, uh, well, uh, sweet. sweet oh, I think look- you wanted to play, but I wanted to also hear Paprika because of that. It started off with being is- written as piano and then... Turn into instruments. So I'm just like with that knowledge, I'm interested to see how it came out kind of I think
0: it's more interesting to listen to that intro song Paprika as a like for production sake. Okay. And for like studying it. Okay. And like listening to it, it's interesting and yeah. the vibe is interesting. Yeah. The the second track though, I think is more it's just like a more fun bop. Oh uh you know? be sweet. Yeah, be sweet.
1: Okay. It's just more fun and vibey. Which one do you want to? We're not ending the show just yet. We're gonna play a track, talk a little bit more, and then end it. So which track which one would you want to end the show on? In
0: order, (laughs) let's go narrative style like we do on Roots to Grooves one and two. We'll start with Paprika right now. I'm down. Okay. All
1: right. Paprika from Jubilee, Japanese Breakfast, their third album. I did actually see that track; they performed that on Saturday Night Live. Oh, and that's the one you saw. Yeah, nice. well, she did two. And, and that one, she had a big gong on stage. And for those big hits, she was just she, she was like singing, and then for the big hits, she was just bang, bang on the gong, <laughs> bang a gong, bang a gong. Um, yeah, you say so. You mentioned something about listening to that track for like production and that. What mm-hmm. what, what specifically caught your ear in that? Or like I mean, like for example, time. the
0: horns. Yeah,
1: I hadn't heard that in Japanese breakfast.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they before haven't done that yet. Yeah, yeah, so I just think it was just an obvious step up as far as the bombastic energy. Mm-hmm. You know, they they just I feel like she went in a little bit different direction by doing something a little bit more outlandish, mm-hmm. like having, a, you know, horns. And, you know, not only that, but like not just like a kind of an indie rock drum beat. Mm-hmm. That's so, you know, a lot of those are like kind of simple, like just, you yeah. know, like a simple beat. That's but a this, little bit more. Mar- this um, one's more like the like the kind of the marching drums.
1: Yeah, It's like orchestral percussion.
0: Yeah, so that whole, yeah, feels Doesn't more it? like, you're you're watching a, you know, like a a band, like an orchestra band, yeah. play this song and present this song as the opening track, yeah. rather than, ooh, I'm listening to an indie rock band in New York City at midnight, right? You know, yeah. yeah. So it's like a whole different presentation, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then they they do things like that throughout the album, I think. Um, and they're like different songs are a little bit like different characters and they have different vibes and energies. Um, kind of like it's a Swiss Army knife of an album. Right. You know, different tools, different things coming out at the different points.
1: Yeah. Um, another name we haven't mentioned yet throughout this episode is Craig Kendricks. She's her producer mm. um, who's worked on all of the albums. And. Uh, I bring this up because when she was doing this album or when starting to write it she like said she sort of uh, distanced herself from him initially Mm -hmm. I think because she kind of wanted to do something a bit different and so she like needed to kind of go out there and explore different directions approaches kind of thing but then she ended up coming back like it wasn't like he was fired or they broke up i think she just needed to sort of have that instead of like working from scratch with him in the studio she needed to like create some other ideas first mm-hmm. structure things prepare things a little bit more differently and then go back into the studio with him kind of thing mm-hmm. um because she said he is kind of integral to uh, her recording process like you know he said He's a multi-instrumentalist, and so she says, Michelle says that he can play a lot of things better than she can. So oh, yeah. she's struggling with a part. She was like, here, you just, you record it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. And he'll, like, get it down there sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to bring him up. Craig Hendricks. No, yeah. Producer of the album. And also George Albrecht is still mixing the albums, and she, he mixed this album. And she said he took some liberties by, like, adding some, like, percussion to like one of the tracks when he was mixing it you know because that's usually a no-no you don't want the mixing engineer to be adding elements right. <laughs> uh, but she said it made the song sound a lot better yeah hey, put some guitar so, on your first track yeah sounds pretty cool we we'll recorded your vocals man. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah no
0: so. no uh very good and then yeah just to touch on that like live and and by the way they have come up to kexp here in seattle and done yeah. a live in yeah. their their listening
1: space or whatever they call it uh, very good show i watched that and also uh, little show. dragon again i just want to say it's because they did play across the street from the studio right down here back in the day right For here in pioneer up, square upstream when upstream music festival happened here kxp had the space down stairs temporarily and they had it turned it into a live performance space it was before signal was in the studio oh that's right it was right. the but, old studio yeah but um, yeah, I just want to say Little Dragon played it because I mentioned them earlier. Ah, was all... Jay's just up here casually <laughs> watching. He's like, yeah. "Yes, yes." No. Anyway, we've got to have some bands in here, so hey, working stay on tuned. it. We're working on it. Yeah.
0: Stay tuned, my my good friends. Um, and then, uh, alternatively, I did mention because they were talking about it um, while I was watching the KEXP performance, and um, I think as the drummer, I think the drummer does some production. Or something. Uh, well, I'm I not know, sure if it's
1: the same guy that you just mentioned, but I know Craig Hendrix. I don't know if he still tours with the band. He might do, but um, yeah, at least early in the days he was on stage with them. Okay. He like used uh, like that, the Yamaha drum pad to like he he basically okay. like take the samples from the album and put them on the pads mm-hmm. and then play, perform that live. Got you. But he can also play other instruments. Which Michelle has said has been really helpful in a band to have a multi instrumentalist. Right, just kind of utility yeah, filling yeah. those gaps. Yeah, yeah. So he might still be playing live,
0: I think. Yeah. So cool, cool. Yeah. Um, and then also, I think it was the a bass player, or guitarist um, from her previous band. Mm-hmm. Um, the the what was the band called? Uh, Little Big League. Yeah, Little Big League. So he he was playing with. Little Big League. And then I think he was going to get another, he, had a, he was in another band. Mm. And I'm, I'm trying to remember the interview and Michelle said that he was going to be in another band that was going to be Jimmy Fallon big, like ref, referencing <laughs> like they were going to go on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. And so they had a lot of, you know, hype about him or whatever. Yeah. A lot of clout. But a, a turn of events and he ended up coming back to work with Michelle in Japanese Breakfast. The bass player? I don't know, I don't know oh. which instrument um oh, no. what was his, do you know his name no no, I'm just saying a guy yeah. in the band who they play live with was from little big league and then additionally another instrument um is her husband as we mentioned previously
1: right um yeah peter uh played uh bass or i think or yeah he played bass yeah like originally like on the first when she was doing the first album mm-hmm And I think he still plays now with them as well. And, yeah, she married him two weeks before her mother passed away. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She actually, I forgot to say on the second album, she wrote a song um, kind of in ode to him called Till Death. Um, And, yeah, I also want to confirm that, yes, the original bass player from Little Big League does play in Japanese Breakfast live right now. And that was interesting because I think he left Little Big League. So the band was kind of on the verge anyway. And then mm. she had to leave for family reasons. And, and he ends up coming back. So was meant always, to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. So all, cool. apparently um, she met him at a karaoke bar called 12 Steps Down. Yeah,
1: the bass I want to say his name, Devon Craig.
0: Oh, no, I was talking about, I mean, the husband's Peter,
1: right? Yeah, Peter, his husband, yeah.
0: Okay. Oh yeah. Okay.
1: That's who I was talking about. Okay.
0: Um, And he was singing Billy Joel's scenes from an Italian restaurant. Interesting. Upon when
1: she caught sight of him. I'm not sure if I've heard that song. Scenes from an Italian restaurant. I feel like it, I feel
0: like both of us would recognize it if we heard it. Yeah, probably.
1: Yeah. it's a karaoke tune. Yeah. It's Billy Joel. (laughs) Um, Piano Man. mm -hmm. That's that's his main one, I know. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I bet we'd recognize that we'll listen to it after this after we stop recording right um yeah and anyway that brings us up to date yeah. jubilee has been released in 2021 Yep. i i'm sure she's working on a movie or a book or a video game or more music <laughs> and i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of really great content from this woman into the future
1: well they're on tour right now all through july all through till the end when of they the come year. When do they come to Seattle, Jay? I think they've already played here, actually. Damn it. They left, but they're all over the place. Des Moines, Iowa. They are going to be in Chicago. They're going to be in Canada. They're going to be in Portland, Hawaii, Japan. She's playing in, I want to get this name right, in South Korea, Incheon. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Incheon. I'm not sure either. Oh, no. There you go. Seattle. August fourteenth. There it is. Day in, day out. Nice. She's playing there. They're playing there. Yeah.
0: All right. Might so have that's to all we care appearance. about.
1: Yeah. You know. We only care about the Seattle date. Yeah. Local. Yeah. Keep it local,
0: folks. Yeah, yeah. That is all I got on Japanese Breakfast. I yes. think this is a cool indie rock band. Yeah. We've got good stuff coming out. Listen to the second album. Yeah. Um.
1: I would suggest starting there. All the albums are good. Yeah. Second, Bro- probably start on the second one and third one for me is very different than the first one yeah like it's like you gotta be in a different mood i think to like i'd go
0: second album then Mm. first album then third album Mm.
1: but i mean you do you because you you are a
0: (laughs) you know you guys are all special people with your own vibes let us know what you guys like to do yeah um unless you got anything else jay All good uh japanese breakfast if you guys got any helpful tips comments concerns hit us up at the email jay
1: Roots to Grooves at signalradio.com. That's S I G N L radio.com.